listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Hey, listeners, I am working, we are working to keep making data simple, alive and well. That's what we're gonna to do today with yet another prestigious guest, IBMer this time, Jennifer Sukas, who is a design principal for AI and machine learning. We're hitting a lot of design as of late, which is good because design is close to my heart. Uh, if I could characterize, I don't, I'm not gonna do you justice here, Jennifer, but let me, let me give a, a couple pieces of commentary. Uh, you design AI and machine learning experiences I know you have patents and have developed practices to be used uh, in the area of AI, machine learning. And here's the, here's the key. We'll talk about this in a bit. You, you state that you teach about humanity's evolution and technology, about how the work being done today is laying the foundation for our future hundreds of years from now. So I don't know if that did you justice. In fact, I know it didn't. But welcome to the show. I appreciate you being here. Hey, thank you so much. Um, I love that you want to talk about the future of humanity 400 years from now. <laughs> I never get That's a lofty objective. <laughs> oh, I know. It is. <laughs> well, well, tell me a little bit more about, about what you do. What is a design principle? Can you describe yourself and, and, and what that entails? Sure. So a design principle is uh, like an STSM. And like STSMs, we work with um, our VPs, but because we're in design, we also work, work, we work with the GM of design, Phil Gilbert, to come up with a unique mission that we are going to help our organization accomplish. And then we're sent off into the world to go off and accomplish that mission however we can and come back and report on the progress of that. So um, my mission is all about helping everyone in a hybrid cloud organization from a design perspective, learn about what is AI and how to design for it and to get machine learning into all of our products. So just for those listeners out there, STSM is Senior Technical Staff Member. It's one of our technical tracks. You go from, you get to an STSM, which is very lofty, then you can go to this Distinguished Engineer, and then you go to IBM Fellow, which is, is extremely difficult, as it should be. Uh, to achieve. So a couple of things to start off. I know your design because, you know, I went out and looked at your LinkedIn and every time I look at somebody from designs, LinkedIn, it's very well done. <laughs> Whereas <laughs> as mine looks like an afterthought because I'm an engineer by trade and I'm like, ah, this looks fine. I just throw it out. But you have, you know, the videos, all the kind of good, very nicely done. So you can tell that you're, you're always thinking of design when you're, when you're doing things. I, that's interesting because I use that too when I'm looking up people on LinkedIn, whether it's designed or not, or when I see a resume, I know immediately this is a designer, this is a researcher, this is an academic researcher because because of how it's laid out. So I think it's fine if you're an engineering background, then look like an engineering designer would look. Yeah, I guess. But I mean, yours will pop a little bit more than us engineers, maybe. Maybe we need to get a designer to do it for us. So let's jump right into the humanity piece. Again, you, what caught me, I guess, is your your talk to humanity, quote unquote, evolution uh, with technology. And I know you've written a couple of blogs, uh, one that uh, I read about the human to machine communication model, 
the blog post you have out there. We'll make that available via the show notes. But I guess the challenge for you is teach me something in five minutes that I, I didn't know here about humanity's evolution, where you think it is, where you think it's going to go. That's a that's a very lofty, probably the loftiest challenge I've ever asked anybody on the podcast. <laughs> um, okay, that's fair. So let me start by saying this is my own personal opinion. Obviously, <laughs> disclaimer, this, disclaimer, disclaimer. Yeah, All right. not an IBM <laughs> viewpoint, but I do think that, you know, part of the reason I was brought into IBM is because of my ideas about AI. And I started off working with Watson three years ago, and I specifically wanted to work with Watson and cognitive computing because what I see in it is a technology that can help humans understand each other. And to me, that's the challenge that blocks us from accomplishing anything, whether it's, you know, working on a team or getting, you know, closer with your family or nations aligning, you know, basically we're talking about like global world peace. It's all about communication and it's about having empathy and a way to think about what you want to say to that other person and understand how they're going to process it based on their own experiences. So as humans, we just we can't do that. Our, our minds don't have the bandwidth to process that amount of information. But these computers and these algorithms, they do. And we're nowhere near close to it yet, but I can see it that that is a direction that we could head in hundreds of years from now when the computers are fast enough, when we have so much historical data about the human experience from all different perspectives. Yeah, we could use those computers and that data to, to help an, one person understand another one completely. When, when on, on your blog, I thought it, one interesting that you said, well, you said a lot of interesting things, but uh, if you could embellish upon this, and that is, you talked about artificial intelligence, that we have decades of data and research in human thought processes and communication to use as our blueprint, and we can help drive better human relationships, kind of what you're talking to there. And also, I presume AI, if we just begin by observing and understanding ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Because... If the purpose, if the purpose of technology in general is always to improve the human condition in some aspect, and the approach to creating technology is reverse engineering something so that we understand it. In this case, with AI, what we're reverse engineering is ourselves. We're the ones who we're trying to understand. We're the ones who need to communicate better. So I always started with how does human communication work? What do we know about it? Just between two humans or a group of humans or organizations of humans, we, we know so much about that. What elements of that make it what it is? And can we use math to create that in between a human and a machine? So that's kind of interesting. Are you, when I looked at, you know, your history, you have your visual communication design. How did you make the transition to visual communication design? And now being a thought leader in machine learning, AI, I got to believe that uh, you're pretty damn good at math when it comes down to the, <laughs> down to it. Yes? No. No? <laughs> the, okay. All right. You stuck st strictly on the design side then. I am, yes. But um, I, the only thing I have to explain my <laughs> why I do what I do is that my dad is um, 
a mechanical engineer and a math slash very logic person. And my mom is a designer and a philosopher and an artist. And being a child of two people like that, I think that's maybe why the communication thing speaks so clearly to me because I was the one that was always going between a right-brained person and a left-brained person and helping them communicate. And I feel strongly both ways, I guess, to bring up the Johnny Winters quote. And I don't know, that's just how my mind works after going through, you know, a lifetime of trying to communicate between these two people. See, I, I well, that's, that's good. I mean, actually, that's, if I could get my daughters to have at least some balance there, that would be freaking terrific. Right now, it's like anything I do, they're like, nah, not going to do that. <laughs> but they're doing good stuff in themselves. But uh, I wish they'd get, uh, you know, do some of the data science. But I'm still working on it. So uh, I know, you know, a lot of people that, that work on AI are happy to chip away at specific problems without you know, looking at the bigger picture. I, I handle this every day where I'm always suggesting pause. What is the solution? I mean, you don't, you don't do AI. You don't do machine learning just because you want to do machine learning and AI. I mean, you can do that. If that's your goal, you'll accomplish that goal. The question is, what solution are you trying to uh, address. So obviously you take a bigger picture approach, given everything you've said around the human evolution and future. How do you take that bigger picture approach in a perspective that, that you know, goes from there? I think it's pretty simple. Uh, I've got this one phrase that's emblazoned on my brain that is um, design with the end in mind. And that I'm always thinking about that. And I've worked on product teams with designers and developers and researchers for 20 years. But no matter what we're working on, it's just a daily balance between noodle, noodle, noodle to get this little piece perfect. And then wait, what am I doing? Does this make sense? What are we actually trying to accomplish? And it's that zoom in, zoom out, zoom in, zoom out. And that's, I think that's just a, a practice. It's, t- it's learning to be mindful of why you're doing what you're doing and for me that always started out with no matter what kind of project i was on whether it was a purely design project or it was a software or hardware project i always started that project by writing i would write about the why and why are we solving this problem what's the real concept and what's the end-all vision that would be just the, the best possible outcome and then i knew what to do next so you're you're Currently, again, a design principle of, of AI and machine learning. What other areas have you led design in? I started off as a super classical print designer. I was leading, I owned a company, I a partner with a company that does things like packaging for anthropology and books for Chronicle Books. So like typesetting and printing. After that, I moved into software design with frog design so i was learning and and designing ui basically like anything that could appear on a a glass screen and then i got more interested in design strategy so more like what we're talking about now where i had honed my craft both from a design perspective and a technology design perspective and then i wanted to step back and think about okay how do i tell answer a question for a client about when they need to solve something how do i solve that so i got into um, design strategy and that eventually led me to feeling like if i'm going to be telling these large companies uh advice for how i think they should solve their problems i should probably have some inside understanding of what it's like to work at a large company and that's ultimately how i ended up at a company like ibm 
because I, I want to complete that journey for me. I want to continue to understand why I, I'm solving the problems that I am and how to do it better. So I'm going to ask you a question that I often ask, I've asked of other designers. I'm going to see if it matches, see if you have a different answer. And that is, is there a difference in designing for like AI or machine, machine learning technologies that IBM is, is putting forth than it is of a print designer? It's the same. And it's not, it's not just like when I say design, I don't just mean arranging things to look nice or creating a nice user flow. To me, design is medium ambiguous and it's just about solving problems. So for me, my method of problem solving, like I described that design with the end in the mind, zoom in, zoom out. I apply that to visual design, user experience design, strategy. When I do get into working on logic problems with uh, a, a data architect or an engineer, same process, it's, it's the same. Every one of those has unique aspects of detail to it that you need to know, but overall, I think design is design. Well, um, I think you're t we're two for two then, uh, because that is the same answer I had from a previous designer, which oh, is really? kind of surprising to me, but not surprising to me. Yes. You, you thought you were going to be different, huh? Yeah. Well, I think that that's, I don't get to hear that very much. I had um, another designer on and we were talking about his previous, and it's in a previous podcast, his previous, he worked for the big auto manufacturers and he designed cars. Mm which was interesting because he talked about designing cars that, you know, he's been here at IBM. Well, I don't remember three four or five years and they're still not out with a car that he designed five years ago. Yeah. It's still, it's still being designed or still in, in, in manufacturing. But the interesting thing he says, look, it, it's really not as different as you might think. It's all about, you know, having the design principles, everything you just outlined, but what's your, what's your secret in terms of process? It sounds like what you said is, look, I always start, and this is interesting to me, you say you always start with the why and you always start writing that up. The reason that's interesting to me as a leader of an organization, uh, when I get confused, which is often, <laughs> but when I get confused, I always go back to why, how, and what. It's the Simon Sinek TED Talk, if anybody's not listened to that. It's very good. Oh, why, how, and what. I haven't seen that. And I I, oh, you got to look at that. A very, it's very good. It's, it's, I think it's pretty old at this point. But I always start with a why, and I try to write it down because when you write it, you get your thoughts on paper. It always starts with writing. I didn't realize this till, you know, later in my career. I mean, I just and so now I try to write relentlessly. But I, I get the process, at least that you were alluding to there. What's your process? I presume it's it's similar. Yeah, I think it's very similar. I think my writing has distilled down into um, GitHub Markdown now, whereas when I was younger, it was you know long essays. But I, I always start there. I'm, I spend most of my time, honestly, in GitHub, figuring out how I'm going to make the biggest impact with all of the things I can touch. So I think I start with, and you can actually, you can see my process in my GitHub. And the way it's set up is, like I said, I work with my VP to create a mission and that's my first column of GitHub are these giant hills. And then I break that down into my next column, which are the epics I will do to accomplish each one of those hills. And then into stories about each epic and then into categories of issues for all the different areas I'm working on. So one will be like um, a column for conducting AI camps, a column for doing consulting for other places uh, outside of my organization. 
And my process is always that. And, and I think that board is a really, and I've never thought about it before, but that's a really cool reflection. Like I'm always looking back at the beginning and at the first column and at the last column, what's the big epic that I'm solving and what's the hill, the task that I'm doing today. That's kind of my process. That's good. Uh, I'm going to have to go. I'll go check it out. Again, we'll put that in the show notes as well. I also know your VP, so now we know who's doing all the real work. <laughs> I've been looking for this for some time. Now I know, and I can uh, tease him. About yeah. It. All right. So very great. good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, now you're trying to save it. I haven't seen his GitHub yet, but I presume he's got some version of it in his head. Well, let's compare it. I bet yours is better. What do you want, what do you want to bet? I don't know. You know, to be honest... RN is probably like, and I'm not, I'm not saying that because I haven't even been in the organization that long. Don't worry. Nobody's listening to this. Say how, what you really feel. I feel <laughs> that I have had a lot of managers and leaders and out of them. Oh no. RN? Don't give him any credit. Don't give him any credit. I'm very jaded as a designer. It's in our nature, but RN kind of kicks ass. So give me the attributes of, of, of ass kicking. So he's, uh, you, I watch him on calls. He's direct and forceful with people when they're going out of bounds, but he's also kind and considerate. And I think he really is good at carrying that expectation out that that is how we treat each other in hybrid cloud. We're upfront and direct and clear about what's what we're doing and what we need to be doing, but we also care about each other and we lift each other up. And we work really hard. Like he's on calls five in the morning till God knows when at night. And he'll he'll stay on the whole time talking if you don't cut him off. I don't know. You must <laughs> love it. That's all I can figure. Is there an approach to design that he's pushed across the organization? Does it just match everything you just outlined? Or is it a little bit different? Or I don't know. I haven't worked closely with him enough yet to really know what his philosophy is. So let me ask you this. And I asked this also of a, a previous designer, I want to get your view, is, you know, qualifying statement here, I have full respect for design. It's one of the best things that we've done within IBM is to integrate instrument design and make it a required piece of our, our release process. However, the question is this, is, you know, you talked everything about hills, et cetera. You know, everybody's pressured for, you know, go to market and time to market, et cetera. And so you got development trying to get there as fast as humanly possible. And you got these darn designers that want to get all the design right. And then they're going back and forth saying, hurry up. And both the both sides are like, uh, you know, pushing one another. What's the magic solution here? I don't think that <laughs> there's, I mean, both are right. And they have to battle it out every time. And I think it's just, Every project, you choose what hill you're going to die on, and some projects you're going to lose. And I think it's, you just have to remember, like, it's never perfect. It's going to change in a year or two anyway, so do the best you can on all fronts. And the most important thing is that you, you know, give something our users value. So the battling is the process or the genius itself done right. At least you're battling. If you're not battling, then there's something, there's something wrong. Yes, that's true. All right, so what are you working on these days? What are you working on right now? Ooh, uh, I just finished up designing and launching the AI design jam for hybrid cloud design. So that was crafting up the, uh, figuring out what kind of problem are we going to have all of our designers, basically we're do a two-day hackathon on. 
which requires teaching all of these designers in less than an hour what AI is, what it's good at, what it's not good at, how to design for it, and then like the specifications of the specific jam. So that took a couple tries to get down, but I think we got through it. I think it came out to a good deck. So I'm excited. I'm actually excited about that. I'm going to package that up and make it something that anybody at IBM can use. Well, so that brings up another question that's kind of common. So how technical does a designer need to be? You say you're like you're teaching uh, designers AI. I can tell you from a development standpoint, there's often frustration there too, is, hey, they don't understand the technology. But then on the other side, they're saying, hey, we shouldn't need to. It's supposed to be simple and we'll be able to design for it. Where is the happy medium? It, I think it depends on the person and because not everybody is left and right brained. Um, and we have to work with the fact that some people are going to be really good at just you know, the technical side of AI. Other people will be good at, you know, making the experience really good without having any understanding of what's actually technically happening in the background. But I think it's finding those weirdos who can, if you're uh, an engineer and you're working with design, you have an appreciation for the fact that design is only going to make the thing that you're trying to build better. That design is an aspect of engineering, of writing code, and it's about being as clean as possible. And then finding the designers who can look at the logic of the technical side and and understand, well, you know, basically AI is the labeling of things. And then what can I do by comparing and contrasting those things? What can I understand? And being creative with those types of data that their system has to work with. And then beyond that, it's to me, it's pretty much experience design. So I think it's finding the, the weirdos, the engineers who, you know, are kind of design groupies and the design groupies that are engineer groupies and, and letting that be maybe a new kind of lead for these projects. So the, the only comment I'd have that earlier we were talking about and you said, look, a great designer can go from a print designer to an AI machine learning designer. So that would tell me by association that the discipline, the, the practice or discipline, whatever you want to call it, is actually design. It's not the technology that you're designing for. Although I would imagine, at least relative to the, the statement you just made, that it does help there, you know, if you understand the logic behind whatever you're designing for, like AI. Does that make sense? Yeah, I hear like the irony in those two statements side by side. But, and as much as I always want things to be black and white, the truth is there are many shades of kinds of designers and kinds of engineers. And I can be a great visual designer and I can also apply great, you know, visual design to UX or visual design to AI. It just, I think it, there are kinds of design and kinds of engineering that translate across the board, but it doesn't mean that everyone can be everything for every kind of thing. What is the final outcome you expect out of this design jam? I mean, if it goes perfectly, what, what what's going to happen? Because other people may be writing this down, are oh, we're going to do this in our own company, but what's the outcome? The best possible outcome is we move the needle towards people stopping and thinking that AI is AI design and just realizing it's another tool in their toolkit that they can just implement anytime they want. And they should just be thinking about it like, 
How are we going to think about security? How are we going to think about the login process? How are we going to think, whatever it is, like there are multiple aspects. This is another tool in their toolkit that just needs to be thought about and a natural part of the product development process. So that would be great. And then if we get some, you know, kick-ass creative ideas out of this because we've given everyone some freedom to just have fun and come up with something that users are going to love, come up with something that businesses are going to want. We'll get some weird ideas that end up being brilliant and we're going to get some funding to build these things. That's the best possible outcome as we clear a path to making some stuff. Let me ask you a total ridiculous question. <laughs> <laughs> is, is, it, is it possible to have for a design to be too good? Yes. It is. All right. Let, let's hear it. I am actually not a very big design fan in terms of classical design, right? Like there is an element of the design culture that I think it, it just forgets itself in itself. And you got you to gotta put stuff down and actually like get things done. So yeah, I think there's some over design aspects. Well, the one reason I had mentioned that, it's probably a little bit of a derivative of what you said there is, you know, for we're looking at machine learning and AI, we, we, we have a reason we always, and I've said this in previous podcasts where we say AI is, is, is not magic. Uh, but I, where I was going with that is like, the design is too good. It appears even more magical than it, than it, than it is. When there's a lot of complexity underneath that we're trying to hide, but it almost goes against us sometimes because it's like, oh, I don't know. That seems like it's uh that seems like it's made up. I don't know if I can trust that decision. And that's why, again, OpenScale comes into to play. That's a really interesting experience. And I've had that experience. And it's. I think it's more about this moment in time than it is AI. I think it's because it's new and people don't recognize when it's being used if you're a company, you want to show off that you're using it. If you're a user, you uh, are suspicious of it. And I think that's why transparency is such a big deal. At why, at least for right now, we need to be using progressive disclosure when we use AI in maybe the smallest, simplest ways by just making something a little color or giving it a little asterisk where a user can decide if they need to see what's going on technically in the background to feel comfortable about the experience that they're having. But on the flip side of that at IBM for our executives, a lot of times they want to show off the fancy AI that we're using. And that doesn't necessarily work with the user experience to have like big new on sale stickers everywhere. So yeah, <laughs> it's true. It's tricky. Well, I'm certainly not encouraging you to, to make, poor design that's not my intent i just it was it was it was it was, a, it was a ridiculous question that turned out to be okay i think at the end of the day i ask a lot of ridiculous questions by the way so anything goes with this podcast so you you talk a lot about going back to where we started which is interesting this must be your mother's side you said she was a philosopher or something or she's very philosophizing uh, a, my mom is actually yeah she's a designer she had her own design agency she uh she's an accountant she's a buddhist she's a kind of weird mix of things so she must get that from her because you're really, I mean, you've really, I mean, you've got a lot of information around the humanity. You think we're better off from AI or not? What's the philosophy tell you? I think it's like any technology that humans encounter. It depends on the way we evolve, how we use it. And different people use it in different ways. And if you're going to use it just to enable you to do less, maybe not going to be good. 
if you use it to enable you to do more, I think that that's the best possible outcome. So we'll see. Uh, this stuff is, I mean, I just feel like AI, one, I don't think AI exists. I don't think machine learning exists. I think what we have is basically predictive math. And until we can actually have enough data and enough, um, you know, models that we can chain together, there is no AI experience in its real sense. We're just kind of, you know, making little widgets here and there and dumping them out. And, you know, we're not there yet. We have no idea where this will take us. Where do you think it's going to take us? Oh, if we go flash forward 50 years, where are 50 we at? 50 years? Um, I think we might have, you know, a better Alexa. <laughs> I think we'll... I think we'll... <laughs> <laughs> it's going to take us 50 years to get better Alexa. My You're standards kidding me. are very high. I have very high expectations. <laughs> I mean, definitely, like, everything we do is going to get better. Everything that we use computers to help us do, yeah, that's going to get better. And it should. But, you know, the real AI stuff, like the sci-fi stuff, I think we're a ways. So good news, millennials. In 50 years, Alexa's going to work. Yeah. That's all you got to wait. Right? <laughs> I think the AI, for one thing, is definitely job security. I'll give it that for maybe like 200 years. Yeah. I, I am very keen, and IBM has, I think, done the right thing here. Instead of artificial intelligence, it is augmented intelligence. That's where the value is. If it helps you do your job, that's great. So kind of wrapping up with your design strategy, I'm curious as to, you know, from a designer, you know, versus an engineer, what assumptions do you run into all the time as you're designing a product that you've got to con constantly overturn and you got to root out? In other words, when you're going on through your practice, like you always enter a, a, a situation I can't believe that you're always getting out in front of the things like you'd like to. So you come in, they ask you to design and what, what false assumptions are made before you get there? What's a common yeah. problem or a common inhibitor that you face? Well, the general one is uh, it's a chat bot. We're 100% sure it's a chat bot and it could be, I think chat bots have the, the highest immediate ROI and you know, are the fastest to deliver and we see results from them. So sure. We can do a chatbot net, but it might it might be solving the low hanging fruit problem. Is that the biggest, most valuable problem? Probably not, unless you are just a customer service company. And then uh, the other thing is, I can't design until I've seen a bunch of video use case examples. That's to me the wrong approach. You don't need to see a million use cases. You need to understand the logic, and then you know, and move forward from there. But you need some kind of use case, don't to to get the client experience impact into it or no? Uh, I think you should come out of it with a great use case, a great video. But I don't think it's helpful, yes, to see examples of real world experiences that are fueled by AI. But I think anybody that's starting out with AI, it's very, you walk a fine line between making those use cases a crutch. I can't design it until I've seen it. And realizing that most of the things we can do, we should be able to do with AI. Probably there isn't a video out there for it yet. You are the ones, this is so new, you're the ones that need to be creative and coming up with the use cases. And I, I don't want designers or anyone to be limited by what's already been done. Fair enough. I think that's a good comment to end on. Unless there's some, is there anything that I missed that we didn't get to that you wanted to discuss? Oh. Uh... No, I think we covered like a really broad spectrum of topics in 
good, good, good. Uh, I know you also do a podcast. So, uh, look, I'll, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that. Where can, and we'll put it in the show notes, but where can folks get see, uh, listen to your podcast? Ah, thanks. Yeah, I can do the shameless self-promotion because I think we have two listeners right now. If we, Our goal is to get to three by the end of the summer, and I think we might be the two listeners. So our podcast is called AI Zen with Andrew and Jen. And I talk from a design standpoint and Andrew talks from his data scientist standpoint. And we just kind of break down how to, how would you do this? How would you do that? What's good about this? I don't think we can talk about that, Andrew. So it's, it's like that and it's on iTunes. Well, if I could give you any advice on it, I would say, don't worry about how many listeners you have. We've done extremely well. I'm pleased. And I, I thank you, all the listeners out there, because it has exponentially grown. Uh, we've got thousands and thousands of listeners now. But I didn't, selfishly, I think if you do it for you and you're learning and you're having fun, it doesn't matter. People will come. This, this is uh, but life I mean, advice. I love it. <laughs> well, that would be my advice. That's that's what I I said, you know, I don't care if anybody listens. I'm going to I'm going to do it and have some fun and uh thankfully people have listened. So it makes it more rewarding, but uh I still get to talk with people like you every day. That's the best that's the best part of it, right? Well, I have a lot of fun. I think it's going great. Yeah. Good, good. And we will put it in the show notes. People can mosey on over there to to listen to all your great stuff because you're very well spoken, much more well spoken than myself, I must say. Hey, uh before I go though, I got to do the lightning round. Okay. You know what the lightning round is? The lightning round is where I ask you crazy questions. People just like the crazy questions, I think. Okay. And we get to we get to hear what your answer is. <laughs> Fair? Okay. I'll try. <laughs> You'll do just right, fine, I'm sure. This is the part sure. where Jen gets fired, but go ahead. <laughs> well, the, you know, I, that's my goal and it hasn't happened yet, so I'm not pushing the envelope enough. <laughs> okay. Let's do it. So, I will go easy on it. You know, we'll start out. So what compelled you to get into uh, visual communication design to begin with? Was that your influence or your parents like you talked earlier? My mom was in college when I was a junior and senior in high school. I saw her going through the master's program. And my last week of high school, I switched everything from psychology at United States to visual design at Kent State. Nice. So if there's any advice that you'd have for a young lady out there considering design, what would you say? Oh, God. One. Uh, It'll be all your fault. Yeah, it will be. <laughs> it's a tough road to hoe, ladies. Um, and I think if you are self-driven and a desire to balance meaning with income, I think design is a great opportunity. And if you want to get started in it, there are a billion ways to get started in it today. I guarantee, like what should be wherever you live within 25 miles, there's a place to go and learn about design. That you Got it. So Jennifer, what inspires you? How are you inspired? Who inspires you? What inspires you? Uh, ever since um, I started designing, I've made it a point to twice a year, block a day off, to go to the library and grab one book off the shelf. And then as I'm going through that book or magazine or whatever it is, let it guide me to a different section and pick another book and then guide me to a different section. And I'm taking notes the whole time I'm going. And by the end of the day, my mind is blown away by just what I didn't know existed in the world. And that those experiences feed me for the next six to 12 months. And then I continue to reflect back on them forever, I think. It's learning. I think learning inspires me. So one day? I mean, one day every six months? Is it so two days a year? If you love it that much, why why not once a month? Well, 
here, go look at my GitHub board and then you'll see why. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, this is where we get to know you. What's the last gift you gave somebody? <laughs> oh, God. We forgot Father's Day. Uh, oh, <laughs> see, now we got to know you. See, that took one question. <laughs> we completely, I've all, so we've got two kids and my husband and I all live together. Every single one of us forgot Father's Day. Um, so yesterday I bought my husband three really nice t-shirts and uh, a sexy lion card, tiger card, and uh, a big Mylar dinosaur balloon. That's what he got. Now, did he forget is the question. Oh, no. We heard about it, and I feel we're going to hear about it. It's going to be the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> See, that's, you know, when you think about it, the good news is, is when you forget, I mean, or when, you're, when your wife forgets, it's perfect, because then you can use that. Oh. You can get a lot of mileage out of that. For the, it's like the best gift you could get. It is. He's really going to cash in on it, so I don't feel that bad anymore. I realized late yesterday what had happened and that it was really all right that was going to suffer so <laughs> oh he'll 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 get his money's worth i would too <laughs> this is the best all right what's the last thing you watched on tv and why did you choose to watch it oh it's a, a french show it's on netflix called black spot uh all i watch is horror and sci-fi and stuff wow. with forests in it so this hits all three i'm very excited about it Wow. Horror, huh? Oh, yeah. I find it very <laughs> Wow. That's, that's interesting. I can't, my, none of my girls will watch it. So I, I, I it's, I, I watch, I watch uh, sappy shows where, you know, you know, the, the plot. Oh, anyway. that's horror to me. True horror. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, uh, it's horror to me too. Now that I think of it, that's a good point. Uh, what's the most interesting thing about you that you wouldn't learn or we wouldn't learn from your resume alone? Oh, that I am part AI myself. Maybe that's why I'm so into it. Uh, my back is one solid piece of steel, and it has been since I was a kid. So if you see me sitting in a meeting room or anywhere, I don't work from a desk. I always sit with my feet up, uh, and that's why, because my back doesn't bend. Oh, wow. But I feel like I get um, a lot of heat uh, for not sitting at a desk, which is rude. But yeah, there you go. That's why. Really? Mm -hmm. I don't sit. I, uh, I stand up all day long. Oh, that's good. Standing is nice. I have a standing desk. Uh, that's what I. That's what I do. I can't sit. I just can't do it. I don't know why. I mean, my back starts hurting when I sit. Though I don't know how people do it. Um, number one role model. Holy God. Uh, number one role model. Well, I'll tell you. Uh, and it changes, but right now in this moment, Barack Obama is just like everything to me in terms of representing what I hope people could be. In terms of anything you want to elaborate on there or, or enough said? I think that's enough. Okay. Uh, last question. Advice for women in tech or women in design to advance their career. That's one we'll end on. How would you go about advance? You talked about, hey, when you started, I thought it was an interesting comment you made. You got to balance meaning with, um, I don't know, I guess reward in terms of, of compensation. I don't know. That's the way I interpreted it. Yeah. But you know, you've done well in your career. What's your advice to, to, to move to the position that you want to be at? I got to tell like, there is only one reason I've had any success um, in my career. And I guess that, well, two reasons, maybe one, like work harder than anyone else. And two, genuinely connect with or and stay in touch with other people who are good at what they do. Um, every job I've had, I, my first job was I fought tooth and nail to get it. And every job I've had since then has been 
a, rec- a sequence of recommendations of good pe- from one good person to the next. So be careful where you start because um, it'll lead you down the path that you end up in. Very good. I read a book one time that I think it said 70% of career advancement is networking. Mm-hmm. Um, so that could be true. Hey, thank you so much for sharing us your, you know, sharing your wisdom with us today. I greatly appreciate it. I will also check out your podcast. Uh, I think you've got a lot of interesting things to say. And I appreciate you being here and taking the time today. Thank you so much, Al. This was just great. And I learned so much about podcasting from you. I think I'll be a better (laughs) host next time we do it. So thank you. Great. Hey, just have fun. That's what I do. Have a few laughs. I always imagine myself drinking a beer. So hopefully you're doing the same thing. I I finished like a six pack while we were sitting there. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. And listeners, thank you for listening. As always, I'll, I'll see you on the next podcast. See you. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple Podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcast to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, over and out. Out.